Last week we said that uh, in the book of Matthew, John the Baptist just bursts on the scene. We're not told anything about his, his birth or early childhood, although some of that material is revealed to us elsewhere in the Synoptic Gospels, but is not given to us here. Rather, we are just introduced to John and immediately his message, which is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then uh, his ministry of baptizing. Today, we're going to look at the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And then as quickly as John arose, uh, he leaves the uh, story of Matthew. There are some references to John in the future, but certainly not a following of his particular ministry. The focus then shifts to Jesus. So this morning, in this chapter, we are uh, given a description of the work of John the Baptist, and then Jesus is baptized by John. Then we have a little bit of... of, uh, further material about John, and then the focus of the book is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. However, the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ by John is very important, and we want to consider why it is important this morning. And in order to answer that question, we're going to focus on Jesus' being baptized by John, and the passage naturally develops in three segments. First, Jesus comes to John to be baptized. Second, John is reluctant to baptize Jesus. And then thirdly, Jesus is indeed baptized by John and the attending circumstances. So first we note that Jesus came to be baptized by John, Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan coming to John to be baptized by him. Our text says he came from Galilee. We know from other portions of Scripture that specifically he came from Nazareth. And we mentioned last week that Jesus was still in Nazareth when John started his ministry of baptism, demonstrating that it predated Jesus' ministry. Jesus had not yet begun any public ministry when he came to John in order to be baptized. The emphasis is on Jesus coming to John and not vice versa. Jesus makes this trip to John as opposed to John visiting Jesus. And Jesus makes this trip specifically in order to be baptized by John, according to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Quickly moving to the second realm, then, that John expressed reluctance in baptizing Jesus. The scripture states that John was trying to keep Jesus from being baptized, verse 14. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And I did, but John tried to deter him. Jesus... John did not think it a good idea for John to baptize Jesus. The reason that John was trying to keep Jesus from being baptized is given to us in the text in verse 14. 
The reason that he wanted to prevent Jesus was, and he said, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. The reason that John was reluctant to baptize Jesus is, is twofold. The first, John viewed the baptism that he was performing as inferior to the baptism that Jesus would provide. Earlier, we saw last week that John had been reluctant to baptize the Pharisees, fearing that they might not be worthy of baptism. But here, John is reluctant to baptize Jesus, believing that his baptism might be unworthy of Jesus. In verse 14, he said, I have need to be baptized by you. Now, this is in keeping with verse 11. If you look there, these are the words of John. He said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. Then skip down to the end of that verse and notice these words. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John makes a distinction between the baptism that he administers and the true baptism that Jesus is able to perform. John said, I can only baptize with water. But Jesus is going to give a baptism, one which is with Holy Spirit and fire. He's going to produce a spiritual baptism. He's going to bring about a true regenerative repentance. And so the baptism that John administers is inferior to the baptism that Jesus is able to administer. And then the second reason that John was seeking to deter Jesus from being baptized was that John saw himself as inferior to Jesus. Notice verse 14. I have need to be baptized by you. And then these words. Do you come to me? John saw this as absolutely inappropriate. Why would Jesus come to John? If anything should happen, John should come to Jesus. And there's a play on words here. Uh, For one, as I mentioned, Jesus had traveled to minister to John. John says, I should have come to you. And then, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. John did not view himself as worthy of baptizing Jesus. He said in verse 11, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. I'm not even worthy of of taking his, his sandals off his feet. It has a reference to a common practice in the New Testament era of washing the traveler's feet. And it would be reserved for the lowest slave, or if there were no slaves in the household, the youngest child would be the one that would take the shoes off of a traveler and wash their feet. And John says, I'm not even worthy of that. And again, a play on words. Not only am I not worthy to baptize Jesus, 
I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. I'm not even worthy to wash his feet. John the Baptist was a humble man, conscious of his own sin. He detected no sin in Jesus, no need to repent, nothing to confess. And so John thought that it was inappropriate for him to baptize Jesus. Here is true humility, both on John's part and Jesus' part. First, John did not overestimate his own importance. He did not let the crowds that were coming in multitude swell his head, or even the fact that Jesus came to him. We saw last week that it says that people from Jerusalem and and all Judea were coming out to John. He played a very important role, but it didn't go to his, his head. John kept the success of his ministry in perspective. He knew that the purpose for his ministry was to prepare the way for Jesus. Later he says that he, referring to Jesus, must increase, and I, referring to John the Baptist, must decrease. And though that may sound like a simple and uh, easy application, yet how often we see people in ministry, people who are serving God, when they meet any kind of success, begin to take for themselves that credit and begin to elevate themselves and glorify themselves rather than pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ and magnifying and glorifying him. So often it's about building our kingdoms rather than building his kingdom. About furthering ourselves rather than furthering the work of God. And John was interested in not furthering himself. What a feather in the cap to be able to baptize Jesus. What a statement about his own importance. But yet, John the Baptist was reluctant to take that step. He thought it was inappropriate. So, we want to look at Jesus' response to John. And Jesus' response is that now was the proper time for John to have the preeminence. Notice verse 15. But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time. Permit it at this time. Now, John, it is appropriate. John is at the pinnacle of his ministry. And this is the absolute climax. Everything has been rising. John's popularity has been building. People have been coming to John. We saw that even the Pharisees and Sadducees last week are coming to John. And his ministry is growing and growing and growing and growing and increasing. And here is the absolute climax. Jesus coming to John to be baptized. And Jesus says, this is right. This is right. At this present time, the way things now stand, you should be baptizing me. It was appropriate at this point in both the ministries of John and Jesus, that John baptized Jesus. Jesus has not made any public proclamations to this point. He has not entered into any public ministry whatsoever. 
This is going to be the dawn. This is going to be the beginning. This is the first step for Jesus' public ministry. It begins with John baptizing Jesus. And so he says to John, now it's fitting. Where your ministry is and where my ministry is. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 15. Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting. It is fitting. It's appropriate. John, don't worry. And don't think that you're doing something that is unworthy or that you're diminishing who I am. Jesus said it is fitting. It is appropriate. And then here's the reason. For us to fulfill all righteousness. Why was it fitting for Jesus to be baptized by John? Answer, fitting for us to be fulfill all righteousness. So the question is, in what way did John baptizing Jesus serve to fulfill all righteousness? And there is an interesting twist that I, I noticed in commentary after commentary. Uh, I read a, an awful lot of commentaries and Preparation for these messages. And uh, it's interesting sometimes to watch where they go and what they have to say. And I, I found a, a common thread. And that is, they emphasized why it was necessary for Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. But notice the text does not say, it is fitting for me. To fulfill all righteousness. The text says it's fitting for us. To fulfill all righteousness. Jesus has both John the Baptist. And himself in view. When he says. That they must fulfill all righteousness. So I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. Because I don't believe that this is an editorial we. You know what an editorial we is? That's when a person refers to themselves, uh, either in obscurity or humility, uh, as uh, we instead of I. Well, this isn't Jesus using an editorial we here. Jesus is actually speaking of both himself and John the Baptist. So what was about to occur was right for John... And it was right for Jesus. And John and Jesus have a unique relationship and role in which all righteousness is to be fulfilled. All righteousness is to be fulfilled. What is that righteousness? Well, a lot of commentators say it's the command to be baptized. The only problem with that is there's no revealed place in the scripture up to this point that commands baptism to be uh, administered or adhered to. Uh, so I don't think it is simply the fact that Jesus is baptized. There's much more to it than that. There is an incident later in Matthew that sheds a bit of light on this passage. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25, if you'll turn there with me. 
Matthew 21, 25. Jesus says to the chief priests and rulers, when they ask him by what authority does he do these things, his response is, verse 25, the baptism of John was from what source? From heaven or from men? If we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? Now jump down to verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the task gatherer and harlots did believe him, and you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. These task collectors and sinners were believing that John the Baptist was teaching the way of righteousness. And he says to these elders and chief priests, but you didn't believe that he was teaching the way of righteousness. Therefore, through submission to being baptized, Jesus is identifying with John and thus affirming the baptism of John and ultimately the message of John. Remember that The message that John the Baptist is preaching is verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We find in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of Jesus is the message of John the Baptist. And in Being baptized by John, Jesus is thereby giving a stamp of approval. It's his imprimatur. It is his statement that what John the Baptist is saying is true. John was proclaiming the kingdom of heaven in his hand. And Jesus was identifying with the proclamation that indeed the kingdom of heaven was at hand. Remember, there was a twofold emphasis to John's baptism and his message. One was repent, and the other, the kingdom of heaven is hand. Jesus had nothing to repent of. When he was being baptized by John, he was not confessing his sins, but he was identifying with the fact that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And once that is explained to John... Then John is ready and willing to baptize Jesus, verse 15. But Jesus answering said to him, permitted at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. In order to fulfill all righteousness, he had to do the work that God had given him to do. And so in fulfilling all righteousness, we must do all the work that God has given us to do. But there is so much more to it than that, and it's found then in the attending circumstances, which is the third and longest section. That is the circumstances immediately following Jesus' baptism. The first is that immediately following Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. Matthew 3.16 And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. 
And behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. The question is, who is the he in verse 16? He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. Did John see the dove descending or did Jesus see the dove descending or did both see the dove descending? The way it's worded in Matthew, it's a bit unclear and could be argued. But listen to the words of John, the gospel writer, in John chapter 1, verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, quote, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. It was John, along with Jesus, that saw the dove descend upon Jesus. And he heard the voice from heaven, verse 17. And behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Evidently, John heard the voice from heaven as well. For John 1.34 says, And I have seen and have been borne witness that this man is the Son of God. This also explains the difference in the gospel accounts as to what the voice from heaven said precisely. Mark says this, A voice came out of heaven, saying, quote, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Luke says, quote, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Matthew puts it in the third person. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What did God say? God said, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John is saying, I heard that Jesus is God's Son, in whom God was pleased. That is the uh, emphasis of verse 17. Behold, a voice out of heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. He's not quoting. Rather, he is relating the significance. I heard God say, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So, what is the significance of all that? What's the purpose in all that? What was the reason? Why are we given these accounts? In the Gospels of Jesus being baptized and the dove descending and the voice from heaven. All of this is in keeping with Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Would you turn there? Keep your finger here. Coming back. Isaiah 42.1 Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, 
Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Jesus himself makes reference to the Isaiah passage. Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all, and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered ram, reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he heads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. All of which is a quotation from Isaiah 42, 1 and following. It is an attestation that Jesus is that servant, that Messiah, that is prophesied in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved one, in whom my spirit is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him. And in a very literal sense, God the Father, demonstrating that Jesus is the Messiah, put his spirit upon Jesus, and John witnessed it. John witnessed it. But what is interesting is that the the Messiah is revealed in Isaiah chapter 42 as the servant of God, the chosen one, the one who's going to accomplish God's work. But now, something further is revealed. Something that also is found elsewhere in the scripture but is now very clear, and that is that the servant is also the Son of God. That he's not just identified as a servant, but as the beloved Son in whom God is well placed. So now, John the Baptist John the Baptist understands in a new and fuller way that Jesus, who is the Messiah, is also actually the Son of God. When I say a new and fuller way, uh, you've got to remember that John the Baptist is a cousin of Jesus. Uh, Certainly his mother, uh, that is John the Baptist's mother, knew about the pregnancy of Mary. All that was confirmed. All that was said. So he intellectually knew what was taking place, but now experientially, he comes to understand that the one whose way he is preparing is not just the Messiah, but the very Son of God. There is much more going on here than simply the Father saying that he is happy that that Jesus was baptized. 
when he says that this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased, it's, it's more than just, oh, Jesus is baptized and makes God happy. Well, there's not the truth to that. Jesus was baptized and it did make the Father happy. But it's a statement about who Jesus is and how he conducts himself. And that is, this is my son and I delight in him. And the emphasis on Isaiah 42.1 is, my servant. My servant. So you put those two things together, and what is it that delights God? The fact that Jesus is his son, and Jesus serves the plan and will of the Father. And nothing shows that better in the beginning of his ministry than the servant attitude of Jesus to come to John and say, I want you to baptize me. John says, I'm not worthy. Jesus says, it's okay for now. Now it's appropriate. Because you and I, together, have to fulfill All righteousness. Everything that God has to say. His complete word. You need to do your ministry. I need to do my ministry. And they are not disjunct. They are linked. John is preparing the way of the Lord. He's preparing that way by saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes along and says, John, I need to be baptized by you and identify with your message. Because people do need to repent. I don't, but they do. But the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I am going to be that servant. I am going to be that Messiah. So the conclusion is, John was preparing the way for Jesus, both in his preaching and in identifying Jesus as the Messiah and also the Son of God. What becomes most noteworthy from now on as we refer to John is that that John doesn't simply preach that there is one coming after him who's Sandals he is not worthy to unleash. Now, John the Baptist says, it's him. Not just one is coming. It's Jesus. And so, the next day, according to the Gospel of John, when John sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He points to Jesus the very next day and says, that's the Son of God. That's the Lamb. And he takes away the sin of the world. And some of his disciples leave him and begin to follow Jesus. And John is pleased with that and says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the context of that statement. But from now on, John is simply bearing witness He's the one.
He's the one. He's the one. I beheld, I beheld the dove. I saw the Spirit of God descend upon him. I saw the fulfillment of what Isaiah 42 is talking about. And I heard a voice. Not only is he the servant, but he's the Son of God. I think as you put the Gospel accounts together, and it seems odd, in the beginning it says that he didn't recognize Jesus. Uh, I think what it is, is referring to is not that he didn't know who Jesus was. Or even that he didn't recognize him as the Messiah. But he didn't really fully grasp the deity of Jesus until he heard that voice from heaven. And then he knew. And then it clicked. And then it realized how appropriate it was. For that's how all of this was revealed. Here is Jesus identifying with and giving credence to the message of John the Baptist. And now, from now on, Jesus will increase and John will decrease. Here is the fulfilling of all righteousness in acting appropriately. May we have a spirit of humility. Like John the Baptist, who wants to see the person of Christ to be exalted. He must increase, but I must decrease. May that be true in all our dealings with people. That people would be led to and show forth uh, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the humility of Jesus to be a servant. And to come and to be baptized by John. And to submit to this for it was appropriate at that time. And then move on to the great ministry that he had. In closing, I'd like to read a lengthy statement that D.A. Carson makes. I think it's helpful. D.A. Carson, I quote, Humility. We must take God's calling on our lives with deadly seriousness, but we must not get caught up with appearances. This third implication surfaces from observing the character qualities of John and Jesus as they fulfill their callings. John not only had a large following, he also demonstrated authority as he rebuked the religious leaders for their hypocrisy. But he did not get carried away with his own importance. He understood clearly his role and knew that there was one coming after him who would be greater, who would have a greater role. John did not balk at being surpassed. Jesus was the greater one, the Messiah, the divine Son of God, who was ready to assume his momentous, redemptive role. Yet Jesus assumed a position of subservience as he submitted himself to the waters of baptism by John. He did not balk at appearing lesser. This is a tremendous lesson on self-understanding and carrying out God's calling on our lives. Neither John nor Jesus got carried away with appearances. They demonstrated strength in carrying out their roles in the plan of salvation. Yet that strength also included diminishing the appearance of their own importance. The key word here is humility. A term that does not get much good press in our day. We hear much more of rights. Perhaps it is not new because the picture that John and Jesus give every age is the incongruity of their humility relative to the significance of their roles. We do not like to give up our appearance of importance. Thus John and Jesus give us a powerful example of humility. 
knowing God's purposes and not allowing our self-promotion to get in the way, enabling us to accomplish God's will for our lives as well. And then lastly, I'd make one other application. If you notice the um, hymns that we sung this morning, all focused on the Trinity. God in three persons. And do not lose sight in the beginning of Christ's public ministry that here we have an attestation of the Trinity. It is God's, the Father's voice from heaven. It is the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus as a dove. And then it's Jesus' own proclamation and teaching. Here is the redemptive work of the triune God. And we are introduced to that redemptive work of the triune God at the baptism of Jesus. Now it becomes clear. Jesus is the Messiah. And yes, Jesus is the Son of God. May we worship him as such. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the great uh, humility and that, that pales in our understanding of the Son of God. What the second person of the Trinity gave up in order to become a man. And then even as a man, he humbled himself and placed himself under other men and died for sinners. Oh God, we praise you for your plan. We praise you for your purpose. We praise you for your work. We thank you, oh God, that you took great delight and pleasure in sending your Son to die for us. May we understand that from the beginning to the end that you were pleased by all that Jesus did. And you were pleased with his sacrifice. And as such, now we experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God because you were pleased that they came up as a sweet-smelling savor and aroma before you. We thank you, O God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we think about this great redemptive work and see each of your personages at work in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, help us to exalt and glorify you and help us to be humble servants of you, recognizing the importance of the roles that we are engaged in. They are a fulfilling all righteousness, but they certainly are not intended to bring glory to ourselves or an aggrandizement of ourselves, but glory to you and an exaltation of the triune God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.